is Jessica Robinson. I'm the local history librarian uh, for Heights Libraries. It is Tuesday, October 1st, and I am here interviewing Peggy Spaeth. Where did you grow up? I grew up here. I'm a third generation Clevelander, and I grew up in Shaker Heights. I went to Heights, uh, Shaker Heights High School, then went off to college at various places because it was the 60s. I ended up getting a joint degree with Case and the Cleveland Institute of Art in Art Education, but I've never taught. Is that where your passion for the arts started in school, or was it someone you met who first inspired you? Or? No, I didn't really know any artists because it was the post-war, I was a baby boomer, and people were looking for income, <laughs> good jobs. There aren't very many jobs out there for artists and I didn't I didn't know any artists at all I didn't even know there was such a thing as an artist who would live in the community I mean you you always knew about all the the dead artists that you went to the art museum my family was very creative I feel in their own way and the Cleveland Museum of Art was a place that we always went to either through school with our field trips or our family used to go down there a lot I always thought that all museums were free. I was, we are so spoiled in Cleveland, Ohio, because if you go out outside of our little bubble, you know, you have to pay a lot of money to go to a museum. And here, even in high school, we used to just kind of go in and out of the museum whenever we felt like it and look at things. And so I, I feel that I grew up in a very arts-rich environment where the arts were completely accessible for free. In public school also we were taken to the Cleveland Orchestra on a very regular basis. So arts, um, visual arts and music were part of my part of my upbringing here in Cleveland I would say. Yeah we're lucky to have so many institutions we can visit and like you said for free. Yeah for free. But I was I was the kid who always liked to be drawing. Although I'm not very good at drawing. (laughs) I always love to do it. I think in later years I realized that my creativity has other ways of expressing itself. I'm more interested in color and pattern and other visual things or even putting people together or projects together than drawing, but I have a very basic love for just putting the mark on paper with paint or ink or pencil or, or whatever. So in terms of the founding of Heights Arts, um, how did the opportunity to start the organization, how did that arise? Well, I'm going to back up a little bit. Oh, sure. Just because it's kind of a combination of where I was personally and where the city and the community was. And personally, I had actually worked as an artist for 10 years before I had my family and then kind of put it aside when my first child was born. So I, know, I knew what it was like to be a working artist and how difficult it was, how isolating it was, how there were no galleries in the city of Cleveland that would represent my work, even though my work was being represented outside of Cleveland. So there was that kind of personal narrative of what it's like to be an artist in Cleveland. Also knowing that Clevelanders at the time, I, I don't think it's still true, people who did buy art didn't really value local art. They valued, if, if a local artist had a, a show in New York, then they would consider purchasing their work. But there was, they seemed to not be able to validate local artists or distinguish who was a good artist. So that was kind of the environment of being an artist in Cleveland. So 
the way my story went from being an artist to being a mother and to being involved with my children in their school and um, when I was involved in the public schools a lot of us were upset because there weren't enough art teachers so we worked on that and then we worked on getting public art around the schools and in the playgrounds and building community around the arts and trying to shine a light, a light on artists so at the same time then with all of this background and you know, firmly held opinions about how things should be. In the year 2000, our city government embarked on a visioning process where they involved all 50,000 residents to come forward and start talking about what was important to them. And they, they ended up creating a visioning committee with, I think it was 13 individuals and in 13 different um, aspects of community life, from economic development, to diversity, to the parks and recreation. But the arts weren't really in this. And so some of us started to try to find a way that we could talk about the arts in the vision of who Cleveland Heights was. And we associated ourselves with the Parks and Recreation Committee, which just happened to be headed up by an artist. And that's Sharon Grossman, who's a a very well-known former woodworker, currently a a well-known ceramic artist. We went to these meetings and we put forth a vision of how the arts kind of could have overall impact every aspect of community life, from economic development to bringing community building to education Mm -hmm. to improving the cityscape. And so we wrote some documents that kind of outlined that and we urged the city to claim its rightful title as Cleveland Heights home to the arts because we have a very uniquely arts rich community with over half we, we we called the Cleveland Orchestra and we asked them how many of the orchestra members live in, in our city and we found out that mo- more than half of the Cleveland Orchestra members sleep in our city <laughs> own homes here so you know we could put forth the idea that we are unique. We are arts rich in Northeast Ohio. Cleveland Heights is a hub for this. Out of that visioning committee, there was a lot of momentum then to claim home of the arts um, for Cleveland Heights and to start this nonprofit that could be a multidisciplinary community arts organization and shine a light on all of the diverse arts that go on in our city. Yeah, I always think of the Heights as being a very artistic city. It is. It yeah. is. Sometimes I forget how unique that is until I leave the city and I go somewhere else. <laughs> right, exactly. And then it really yeah. hits home for me. We have great, a lot of really good artists in all all the disciplines and great bakeries. So, I mean, what more could you want in a city, right? It's, it's like a precarious situation for the arts and schools mm-hmm. almost all the time. It seems like it's something that people want to that they want to cut and they don't realize how right. important it is. Yeah. It isn't important just to, you know, I think sometimes people think the only people who should participate in the arts are people who are going to become professional artists, mm-hmm. but it's so important just for development and for personal expression. You know, creativity kind of goes through all all disciplines. I mean, scientists are creative people and mathematicians are creative people. And so Nurturing creativity in the schools is, again, it's an overarching theme. It helps you to realize um, that humanity has a lot in common with each other. You might be different in many ways, but the arts can bring people together. 
and they can influence how you go through your community life and how you approach problems and situations and you know just being visually literate I think is very important so that our cities can be interesting to look at and live in and I don't think I'm alone in feeling that the arts and creativity are an essential human component that influences all all good things in life. Who else uh, was involved in the project? Originally there were probably about a dozen people we met in my living room and we started to talk about what could an organization look like? What is the list of things we wanted to do? We wanted to have arts and education, we wanted to have more public art, have our streetscapes be interesting, we wanted to shine a light on our local musicians and our local artists, and we wanted to provide a gallery where local artists could show their work, which you know was one of my issues. So we had a lot of very diverse people. I think one of the key people was Steve Presser, owner of Big Fun on Coventry. His wife is an artist, and he's a very creative businessman and a creative human being. So he was he was really helping with this agenda. And I mentioned Sharon Grossman, Greg Donnelly, who works at the Art Museum. A lot of the people who helped actually work in the arts in different parts of University Circle or in the Heights. So Greg Donnelly was a founding member. I think David Budin came to one of our first meetings. He's, I think everybody in Cleveland Heights knows who David Budin is. And then also at the same time, the county had just brought Tom Shorgel in from Chicago to start talking to the greater community about the arts and public funding for the arts. So he was doing meetings all throughout Cuyahoga County with different constituencies, drumming up support for the concept of public funding for the arts. And he came to our first meeting. I invited him because he had such an overview of how the arts fit into the community life. So he was a, a key person in, in the whole conversation. And we just kept meeting and trying to figure out. It was very exciting because how often do you have an idea and all of a sudden doors just kind of swing open? And that's kind of how it was for the arts. So we, this was an organization that was waiting to happen. It was like, it almost was like, there in the stratosphere and we just had to make it tangible and organize it and make it happen. So what kind of projects were you involved with that Heights Arts undertook? Well one of the first things we did was we we simply had an office up above the Cedarly Theater. One day I walked downstairs you know past the little storefronts and there was a for rent sign on one of the stores. It was empty. So we asked John Foreman, the owner of the building and of the Cedar Lee Theater, if we could have a little pop-up uh, local art store for, for the holidays that year. And he said, sure, if you get a little insurance, you know, go for it. So we went in that little store and we contacted all the artists we knew and we cleaned it up and we got all kinds of temporary props and we put on this this holiday store and it was so successful. I mean, people were like, oh, thank you, thank you. Finally, we get to, you know, there's a place in Cleveland Heights where we can buy local art and, and high quality local art, good, good, good art that's made by our finest artists and craftsmen. And so it was so successful, then we negotiated a lease and we opened our gallery. So that's still going on today. Then we expanded it into the former Starbucks. And so it's a nice big space to show art. So that was like the flagship that gave the arts a presence. And also by having that space, we could bring in music and poetry. 
one of the kids at Heights High stopped in one day and he said, could we have a poetry slam here? So every Friday night one summer, all these kids just streamed into the gallery and expressed themselves, read their own poetry or played some music, and it gave them a place in the community to do that. So having a place, you know, kind of like a mini art center for all of these different activities to occur was, was really fun. And then, of course, we, we brought art to the streets as well. One of the first projects that we did was a mural on the back of the Cedar Lee Theater. Actually, that's how we first met John Foreman. He called the city and said he wanted to do a mural on the back of the theater. We leapt at the chance to help him do that because, you know, it was a dead park. It was a parking lot. It was dark. But that was the main access to the movie theater, to the restaurants, to the street life on, C- on Lee Road. So by putting this mural on the building and lighting it well, it just created a, a it, it transformed the parking lot into a, a place. It gave it a sense of place. So, and also it made it less desolate to have this kind of glowing mural on the wall. And we, you know, the other fun thing about doing public art projects is that you involve the community. So we had a contest um, for that mural and we had a show here at the library and um, we gave everybody specifications of the size of the wall. And not only did we have artists from the community give us examples, but kids at Fairfax School. And we, we displayed all of, all of the choices. And then we had a professional jury select the ultimate winner of the prize. That sounds really wonderful. It was. was that part of, you know, like an integral part of the mission of Heights Arts to mm-hmm. kind of transform a landscape that might otherwise be like what you were describing, you know, like a, you know, a parking lot or something right. like that, that might otherwise be kind of dreary or dark to, you know, kind of transform those spaces into something unexpected. Absolutely. Because one of our original missions, and I, I think it's still a core value today, is to express the creative spirit of the community and to make visible what we all knew our community was really like. I mean, we know that our community is very vibrant and creative. And so being able to bring that to the street to show, you know, when you drive through our town, that it's, it, it reflects the creative spirit and the creativity of the people who live here. And even if people aren't necessarily artists, we also have a really rich audience of people who appreciate the arts. You know, you can't have one without the other. You have to have artists creating art and then consumers of it. And we have both here. We have very uh, artistically literate. <laughs> what other projects were you part of that you would say maybe you're most proud of or that you think had the most significant impact on the community? Oh, there's so many. I'm really proud of everything we've done because it's so broad. I love the gallery. I love that now people know who the artists in our community are and that you can rub shoulders with them in the produce aisle at Zagara's and you go, oh, there's Brent Key Young. He's that wonderful glassblower who's nationally known and you know his works in museums all over. And you know him because he lives here and he's spoken at the gallery and he's shown his work there. So I love that we were shining a light on our visual artists. And I also have loved connecting um, one of our flagship projects that Heights Arts is still doing is Isabel Troutwine, a violinist with the Cleveland Orchestra, has organized, I forget how many now, years and years of intimate chamber music concerts with her colleagues and other other musicians. So 
I love the fact that you can go into a, a house in Cleveland Heights, and usually they're, they're large houses. They're not, they're not my house, okay. But where you can sit with 60 or 70 other people in a very intimate setting listening to chamber music being played by orchestra members who are your neighbors but are world famous. And so it's a very trans transcendent experience. Plus, they get to play what they want to play. You know, when they work at the orchestra, you know, they don't decide on what they're going to play. But in our chamber music concerts, they select the music. So there's a, such a joy in the room because they're selecting the music they want to play. So I, I, love, I love those chamber music concerts. There's only four every year, and they're very special, and they're not very expensive. So it makes it accessible to, to, to most people. So the other part, I just always loved doing public art projects, whether it's a permanent project like a mural or a sculpture or a transition, you know, transitory project like Fenspiration when we um, decorated or created a landscape using recycled materials and local artists on a construction fence or when we did Knitscape, where we used an artist to help us transform the landscape in, in the Cedar Lee neighborhood. So I love public art projects. I love putting up permanent murals like in Cedar Fairmont that reflect the past by a local artist, Jesse Reinhardt, who worked very hard in his studio and just did stupendous work. Oh, the other thing I'm very proud of is Poet Laureate. And that actually started here at the library. There was a, a staff day when the library was closed, and I was invited to tell the library staff about Heights Arts because we were new, and we were going to be doing some partnering. So I came to your library staff day, and the day was opened with Ben Golius, one of your staff members, reading an original poem. And I was just, I was just awestruck that you go places and somebody opens you know, something with a prayer. But here we, it opened with an original poem by a poet who worked at the library. And it was such a call to arms as well. I just remember he talked about coffee and wake up and come together. And so after that experience, which I found so stimulating, I don't know how everybody else did at 7.30 in the morning, I started talking about, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you started everything with a poem, local poets, and started talking up the idea of a poet. Why, why don't we have a poet laureate who will come to every event, council meetings and everything, and read poetry? So we've had a poet laureate ever since then, which is really fun. Yeah, we're actually coming coming up on our staff day again. Yeah. <laughs> this Friday, October I, 4th. <laughs> I hope it's opening with a poem. <laughs> yeah, every, every year we still are lucky enough to have Ben um, read us one of his original that's fun. poems. It's that's really, it's, it's a wonderful way it's a wonderful way to start the day. Absolutely. Yeah. That and a cup of coffee is all you need, right? Yeah. <laughs> Our conversation has made me curious about whether or not you think the presence of Heights Arts as an organization changed local perceptions about those local artists who you mentioned that maybe, you know, until they got a show in New York, yeah. they were very overlooked in mm -hmm. their own backyard, basically. Yeah. I think it did. You know, the thing about selling art and, and galleries and everything is that if selling art was profitable, we'd have a gallery on every street corner instead of CVS, you know? Um, so it's, it's a sub, our gallery is subsidized. I mean, you can't sell enough art to pay all the bills and this and that and the other thing. But that said, we have moved, Heights Arts has moved so much art into people's homes, whether it's ceramics or glass or paintings or drawings or cards. 
people continually visit Heights Arts to purchase original, one-of-a-kind, creative, well-crafted, highly regarded art. So yes, I would say that that people's attitude and the accessibility to local art has definitely changed. It's it's valued, and I feel that artists in our community feel that they're valued, and I, that's so important because nobody, very few people, even earn a living being an artist. So many of us artists have day jobs, or you know, teach, or auto mechanic, whatever you know. So I think having that validation that the people in the community support it, want it, buy it, has, I think we definitely changed perceptions and opened that dialogue between artists and the consumer here in Cleveland Heights. Yeah, good question. Where do you see your own future now that you, you retired from Heights <laughs> Arts, right? My future, I don't think about a future very much, never have really living very much in the moment. So being retired, I pretty much do what I want to do. And it's wonderful not having the multiple responsibilities of running an arts organization. You know, when you have a small arts organization like that, you have to raise money, you have to shovel snow, (laughs) you do the e-news, the marketing, you know, it's very hard to scale up a small organization so that you have enough staff, like the library has, to, to do all the things that need to be done to keep the doors open. So I do not miss how hard I was working, pretty much 24 seven. Even though I was enjoying every minute of it and had lots and lots and lots of help it still was a lot of work, and I just started to feel very tired, you know, as my as my years advanced. So now I am pretty much on no schedule, but my interest has shifted, or maybe a door. I just have more time, you know. When you have a job, you put aside a lot of other interests for the sake of the job or the family or whatever it is. And now I have kind of like an open meadow of opportunities. And what I'm most interested in is being outside and the environment and trying to garden with native plants and do habitat restoration. So that's not too far from the arts in in many ways. So that's what I really am doing right now. Is there anything else I didn't touch on that you think is really, that we should know about Heights Arts as an organization? I think the only thing I would want to say to, to people is that you have to be active. And you have to support your local arts organizations because there's no steady funding stream. And so if you care about having an organization like this down the street in your community that you can walk to, you need to you need to go there and you need to donate whatever you can that's personally significant. And you need to buy things there and you need to go to the poetry readings and you know you need to support the arts you need to be an active supporter of the arts you can't just say oh we're so lucky to have that you need to be actively supporting it and 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 it comes down i'm afraid to dollars you can't just love it you have to fund it so i would encourage anybody who's listening to this to sit down and write a check to heights arts or your favorite arts organization whether it's Ensemble Theater, Dobama Theater, Artful Cleveland, you know, whatever it is, um, you need to support it with your, with put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with sure. us and also your information. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to make more time to <laughs> visit Heights Arts.